You're listening to the Prayer Storm Podcast. We pray that this teaching blesses you, challenges you, and equips you, leaving you ignited for all that God has for you. Don't forget to check out James Laderin's book, Life on Fire, which is out now. You can find this and more at prayerstorm.org, or you can click the link in the description below. I'm going to be reading uh, from Luke 1, so if you've got your Bibles, please do turn to... Um, Luke 1 verse 13 is where I'm going to be starting from. Uh, Before I read, I'm just going to pray. Father, thank you for the spirit of revelation, the spirit of wisdom. Lord, we just bind every distraction and anything that will stop your word from bearing fruits in the hearts of everyone here today and those watching online as well. So, Father, we thank you that your word will run swiftly and be glorified tonight. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 1 13. Well, the angel said to him, Zechariah, um, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son, and she'll call his name John. And you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. I love that. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And this is where I'm going in verse 17. He will also go before him. That's referring to going before Jesus. He will go before Jesus in the spirit and the power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I love that. Because when I look through scripture, one of my favorite favorite characters in scripture is Elijah. Um, Elijah was an intense personality. He was a man of prayer. Elijah was a prophet. Elijah was not just an ordinary person. We don't know anything about Elijah's history other than he just shows up out of nowhere, seemingly, and he's just releasing these crazy decrees that there shall be no rain except on my word. And I'm the sort of person that likes to ask questions. I like to know what is behind what I'm seeing. And so when Elijah released that declaration, there was a reaction, and obviously it happened because Elijah was a man of stature in the spirit. Elijah carried authority. When Elijah spoke, the spirit realm responded to him. You see, Elijah is like he became like a governing personality by himself, even though it was with the Holy Ghost, over the whole region. So his words weren't empty. When he said it, it happened because his words were backed by God. And Elijah was such an intense person in the spirit. He molded prayer. He modeled something so unique in God that it's like Elijah discovered a dimension of God that no one else had in previous generations. And he modeled that dimension so well to his generation that God now called that dimension Elijah. Imagine we're honoring Karen Wheaton right now as a woman of God. Imagine she's modeling a dimension of God so much to this generation that when she's gone on to be on the Lord, the Lord calls this dimension Karen Wheaton. And so Elijah modeled something so God, he captured it, that God was like, that spirit was something in the Holy Spirit that Elijah caught hold of. Now, we know Elijah didn't die. Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind to heaven. But I want to just point, a few th- point your attention to a few things about the person Elijah. Before we talk about the spirit, because the spirit that he modeled is the spirit that God is wanting to release more and more in this generation. As we, go, as we come to the passage and look in a moment, Elijah was a man of prayer. Everyone say prayer. prayer. Elijah knew how to press into God. And I want to connect this to my first visit to the ramp in 2007. I left the ramp with something stirring in my heart. Now, I, I was a person of prayer before I came to the ramp, I must say. But when I came to the ramp in 2007, something shifted in my heart. I left that meeting, went home, praying for 10 hours, 14 hours, 15 hours, 16 hours. One day, 
I said, I'm going to lock myself in my room and see how much I can press into God. 24 hours in my room. You might go, where are you from, James? That's just unheard of. Well, I looked at myself and said, James, what has happened to you? Because I was praying in a way I'd never done before. And actually, in one of those times I was praying, God unlocked my destiny to me. Because I received a word of knowledge, a name I'd never a person I've never met before, I didn't know who they were. But once I received that name in prayer, I knew I had to search for that person and send them that video of us praying at the ramp. And that video being sent to that person unlocked a whole new season of my life that's led to where I am right now. So I understand the power of not just praying, but long prayers. There's some things you will never touch in God If all you do is just, oh Lord, bless me and help me and give me a nice job and help me pass my exams in Jesus' name, amen. See, you're not going to go deep in God and change a generation with that type of prayer life. You see, and the 21st century church, in fact, let me say this, the American church, and those of you watching online from different nations, maybe this may be a reference or this may be a picture of the, the church in your nation. But in the West, when I talk about 21st century church, I'm talking about the United Kingdom. I'm talking about the United States. And what I see a lot, the 21st century church has become a nursery where babies are being fed. As opposed to a barracks where warriors are being bred. Listen, babies want bottle, not battle. Babies want to be made to feel good. You just want the pastor to give you a motivational message. I've got news for you. Jesus never preached a motivational message. The apostles never preached a motivational message. A motivational message is like a hot bath. It eventually gets cold. And God wants you to have a thermostat in you. And you have to know how to pray now. You don't, you're not going to say, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 14, I'm 15, or I'm 20. Prays for some elderly people and people over there. No, no, no. God has given you his spirit. And you're not going to maximize the potential of the operating system that raised Christ from the dead, which is the Holy Ghost in you. You're not going to maximize that potential by just your puny little, God bless me and help me right now. Amen. And you move on with the rest of the day. He's calling you to something deep. And you know what? Prayer is going to be boring for you. Newsflash. Prayer is going to be boring because there's every, everything in your flesh resists prayer Every, everything in your being does not want because prayer does not entertain your flesh so your flesh will, that's why you're finding it boring that's why you think James you're from another planet how are you able to pray that long now that's not to say there are times even right now I don't find prayer boring but it means I know the process I've been through it many times and because I know how to push through I know it's just my flesh crying out but I have learned how to tell my flesh to shut up some of you don't know how to do that your flesh wants Facebook and Instagram and TikTok your flesh wants food you give it everything it wants but your spirit is there starving and weak that's why you're not going to change the nation that's why you're not going to carry the spirit that would cause true revival to be released in the earth. Elijah was a man of prayer. And God wants to call you to be that person of prayer in this generation. Elijah was an intercessor. Elijah knew how to contend for the agenda of God. I'm not going to stay on this too long because this is not really where I'm going. Elijah was also a prophet. And I want to I say something about this whole thing about being a prophet because this is coming from some experiences I've had lately where I'm, I'm finding that, in fact, before we come to the prophet side, if you're a pastor and you're more concerned about preaching than praying, you're straying. If you're a prophet and you're more concerned about prophesying than, carry, than carrying God's intercessory burdens... 
you're on the path of deception and will eventually collide with a demon and call it prophecy. Because as far as I know from scripture, every prophet or prophetess was a person of prayer. So once you start exercising what you call a prophetic gift and you're not rooted as an intercessor, as your foundation, as a person of prayer, you're already on the path of deception. So Elijah was not just a prophet that was releasing words. He released words and he he carried those words and he birthed them. He knew how to go through the process. And I'm I'm coming across certain prophets that just want to speak but don't want to carry it. He carried it. He was faithful and he birthed it. He went through a travail. For Elijah to come out and release his declaration, he did that there will be no rain. I guarantee you there was lots of prayer behind that declaration. In 1 Kings 17, you don't see anything about Elijah praying. But in James 5, it gives us a backstory to 1 Kings 17. 1 Kings 17 says, Elijah released this declaration, there will be no rain. But James 5 says, Elijah was a man just like us. And he prayed that there will be no rain. So Elijah prayed intensely before he released the decree and the proclamation. And actually, he released so much heavenly deposits Now, when they released that declaration, there was like so much backing behind it. Are you with me today? So Elijah modeled something in the spirit that God was like, I am going to call that Elijah from now on. (laughs) Elijah was a revivalist. He was on the scene to challenge the status quo, to call the people back to God, to usher in a move of God in the nation. And so Elijah didn't die, as we know. It was taken up by a whirlwind into heaven. And then we just, we just read Luke 1 uh, where Zechariah, he and his wife are now old people. They've been praying, believing God for a child. And I am guessing that by this point, they've probably forgotten about their prayers. <laughs> because the angel came and says, your prayer is heard. He's probably thinking, what prayer? Because... I guarantee you, Zachariah and his wife did not pray for a child just once. And they probably prayed when they were a lot younger. And now that they're in their older years, elderly years, they probably just prayed less about it and forgotten about it. You know what this points us to? Prayers never die. God knows the prayers that was prayed to the second to the moment, you've probably forgotten about lots of things you spoke, but it's all been recorded. Pray, someone say, prayers never die. They just accumulate. And as they keep accumulating, there comes a point where there's a boom, there's a breakthrough. And that's exactly what happened here with Luke. Well, not with Luke, with Zachariah. The prayers had been accumulating And all of a sudden, the Lord knew this was the moment where there was going to be a release. And an angel came and said to Zachariah, your prayer is heard and you're going to have a son. And we come to verse 17. He says, he will go before the Lord, before Jesus, in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. Remember what I said? Elijah modeled something so much in the spirit that now God is like, I am going to send somebody that's going to carry that thing that Elijah modeled. And so, John never met Elijah, but he dressed like him. John never met Elijah, but he had some of the, you know, some of the idiosyncrasies and the kind of manners, the way Elijah lived in tents. John somehow captured that because he was carrying a spirit. A spirit inspired his fashion. Are you hearing me? He wore camel's hair. Where did he get that from? Because all through scripture, there's no reference for wearing camel's hair. He, he was dressing in a way that was inspired. Which tells me, we need to be people that are inspired. We're inspired by the Holy Spirit in our actions. Are you hearing me today? If we're people that are truly people of God, it should be evident in the way we live such that I should be able to look on your social media accounts. I should be able to look on your Instagram, TikTok, wherever social platform you're on, 
And I should be able to tell that this one is different. Because the things you post, there's a spirit inspiration behind it. Now, I'm not saying everything has to be Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. However, I am surprised at the level of um, disconnectedness I see oftentimes in my generation and probably the younger generation as well, where people profess to be Christians, they sing songs and lead worship and even preach, but post things online that completely not aligned with the Holy Spirit. So it shows me they're not living on the, the government of God. Are you hearing me? Because when we talk about holiness, Jacob spoke about holiness earlier today. Holiness really is in one dimension coming under the government of heaven. Such that the Lord determines how you live and what you watch and where you go and what you do. And if the government of heaven comes over your life, you're going to start to realize that there are specific instructions God starts to give you. Based on the calling he has for your life. That may be different to some of the instructions he gives me. Now, we're not talking about sin now. We're talking about almost like a specific uh, 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 callings and, and consecration and I know that's a big word in, in the way you're called to set yourself apart to God this is a kind of silly random example God may say to me James is a sin for you to wear white trainers I'm wearing white trainers right now God didn't say that to me so but just for a, as an example and you might go that's just silly but God could give that as an instruction to someone it doesn't mean that becomes a law for the whole people of God but because they're under the government of heaven, they take that as a lifestyle. So now their fashion becomes spirit-inspired. Are you hearing me today? John lived spirit-inspired. He carried the spirit of Elijah in a great measure. Now we go on to Matthew 17, 11. Matthew 17, 11, Jesus says, a mixed reference to the fact that Elijah is coming again. In fact, let me just read what Jesus says here. So if you go your Bibles, just Matthew 17, 11. Jesus answered his disciples and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has already come. And they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. See what I'm saying here? He called John the Baptist Elijah. He didn't call him John. He said, Elijah has already come. So when he said Elijah has already come, he was referring to what John carried. But also something very easy to miss here is also what he says. That not just that Elijah has come. In verse 11 it says, indeed, Elijah is coming. Everyone say Elijah is coming. So Elijah has come. In Jesus' day, Elijah was there in John the Baptist. And Jesus then says, Elijah is coming. Everyone say that again, Elijah is coming. So what does Jesus mean, Elijah is coming? I believe in the same way the spirit of Elijah rested upon John. John's mission was to prepare the way for the first coming of Jesus. And he did that with a life of fasting, with a life of prayer, with this intense devotion to seeking God, which is what we're calling you to as a generation, saying, look, we want to prepare the way for God's move in the earth. Revival is God's arrival on the scene in a whole new measure like we've never seen before. And so for God to move in the way we want him to move or the way he wants to move, he wants to prepare us and wants us to prepare the way for what he wants to do. So there is a pattern already in scripture as to how God wants to move in our generation and we can look at that from previous generations and learn some of the patterns in scripture and this is one of them for Jesus to come in the earth he had to send a messenger ahead of him to prepare the way for his ministry 
And that messenger was John. And John was radical. He carried that spirit of Elijah. And that was for the first coming of Jesus. Everyone say the first coming of Jesus. Now I want to make an announcement to you in case you didn't realize Jesus is coming again. Does anyone believe Jesus is coming again here? Okay. I think I'm in the right place. Jesus and it's coming again. I know it may seem like everything's going crazy, politics and COVID, and it might seem like life is just, you know, same old thing over and over again, probably getting worse, you know. But I want to say to you, you have to live with that reality that this is not just a fairy tale, just, an, just stories we're talking about here. This is real. The person Jesus, the one who ascended to heaven, he is coming again. And if he's coming again, then the way needs to be prepared for his second coming. Just like the way was prepared for his first coming. And so the way the first coming was done was the spirit rested upon one person, Elijah. I mean, John the Baptist. But for the second coming, I believe the spirit that rested on John is going to rest upon a generation. Are you tracking with me? And that generation is going to prepare the way for the second coming. So that generation is going to look like John. That's why I'm saying God has called you to be a prayer warrior. God has called you to be a prophet. When I say prophet, no one that's necessarily in the office of a prophet, but he says himself in Joel 2.28, didn't he? I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. That's the prophetic word over you. You're called to prophesy and speak the word of God. So you're called to be a prayer warrior. You're called to be a prophet. You're called to be a revivalist. And those are elements of the DNA of the spirit of Elijah. And all that and more combines to prepare the way for the second coming of Jesus. Are you hearing me today? Now, this is where we're going. Jesus said Elijah is coming. Do you know what that means? If Jesus prophesied that Elijah is coming, do you know who else is going to be coming as well? Thank you for that, John the Baptist. However, it's not John the Baptist. But good try. Tell you what. If Jesus says Elijah is coming, then Jezebel is coming. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with the scriptures, but when Elijah came on the scene, there was a crazy demonic woman on the scene. She, she captured a dimension of the demonic in her generation. Just like Elijah captured a, dim, a dimension of the spirit, she captured a dimension of the demonic, and now it's named after her. Because... That dimension existed before her, but she was able to download it into the earth in such a way that now, when we say Jezebel, people have an idea of what we're talking about. Now, I'm all, I don't want to talk about Jezebel in the way most people hear about Jezebel, where it's like, okay, Jezebel is some woman who, you know, maybe lacks social skills and is very, it's got strong personality and they just label all that Jezebel. No, 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 no. No, no, we're not talking about that. We're talking about a spirit. It has no gender. Spirit does not have a gender. Are, are you hearing me? It is spirit. So it influences men and women. Just like the spirit of Elijah would fall on men and women. Are, are you tracking with me? In fact, I want to say, based on my understanding of the workings of the spirit of Jezebel from how Jesus talks about her, men are the ones propagating that spirit more in this generation than women. Okay, maybe I should move on from that quickly. <laughs> you know how Jesus talks about this spirit? It's a spirit of seduction. It's a spirit of immorality. Control. Oh, and there's more. Depression is locked in in the spirit of Jezebel too. And hopefully we'll get to unpack that in a few moments. So it's not just perversion, it's also oppression and depression. You know, this generation, lots of, all, we call it mental health issues. 
has it occurred to you that there could be a demonic inspiration behind it? Listen, you don't medicate demons, you cast them out. I am not saying, I am not saying that every single manifestation of depression is a demon. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying a whole lot of it in our generation is demonic. In fact, as I was praying about this meeting, there's some people here right now, some watching online, then your dream world is infested with Jezebelic oppressions. You're having sexual dreams and you're struggling to shake it off and you're wondering what's going on. Or you're waking up and you're paralyzed in your bed and you're wondering, you're feeling a presence in your room. You're wondering what's going on. I'm telling you, there are spiritual dynamics going on. Many of us may not talk about because you might think, you, you feel like people might think you're crazy. Well, God sent me here, right, to tell you, you're not crazy. There is a spirit that's been released. The Lord is releasing the spirit of Elijah the enemy is releasing and unleashing the spirit of Jezebel. A few years ago, I had a dream. And in the dream, and in the season when I had this dream, I was praying very focused prayers around the theme of, Lord, I want to have insight into what you're doing in this generation. Lord, open my eyes. I want to understand what's really going on, what we're really up against. And I had this dream where I was in this room and my back was to this wall. Imagine the wall is behind me right here on stage. My back was to this wall. And on this wall were all these idols, like Eastern idols. You know, like sometimes you might see in some restaurants, you know, like all this Buddha and like all these idols. It like just filled the whole wall from top to bottom. My back was to it. And you know, sometimes dreams can be odd and weird. I was in two states in the dream. I was in my body, but I was out of my body. And as my back is to this wall, I start to feel the power of something on the wall that seemed to just stand out to me more than any of the idols on the wall. And it had a strong personality. It was like it was, it was alive. It was more than just an idol. It was like it was living. And the power of this thing was coming on me in such a way that I was almost like just doubling over. But at the same time, within me was a holy indignation where I wanted to, to cut the head of this thing. I don't know how I knew it was a head. Well, I was in two states. I could see it was a head of something on the wall and I wanted to cut the head off it. Now, I'm big on dreams. As you probably found, find out in, in this community, we receive lots of dreams <laughs> and God speaks in dreams. And one of the things I know is when I'm in a dream like that, and I'm wanting to do something and I'm realizing I don't have my sword because that's what happened in the, in the dream. I didn't have a sword in my hand. I realized that I was in trouble because <laughs> the sword is the word of God, right? That's what the scripture says in Ephesians 6. But even though I didn't have a sword in my hand, there was a determination within me to cut the head off this thing. And the best way to describe this idol I'm talking about is the head of Medusa. You all know what I'm talking about when I say that? So a woman's head and the hairs are just snakes. And it was living and I was moving back. I was doing everything I could. The more I moved, the more I could feel its power on my back. And it got to the point where this was just going on and on in the dream for a while. And I woke up out of the dream in that frustrated state and that day we had a conference and I remember just feeling that burden to just pray and I was just praying because I knew it wasn't a good thing that I didn't cut the head off in the dream went into the conference and in the middle of the conference I shared the dream with one of the speakers and while I was preaching actually because we were about to go into a 40-day fast back then he came up and he said he, he just he just said to me felt we needed everyone in the room needed to repent for every inward toleration of the spirit of Jezebel and immorality. So people started confessing their sins. Now, I, at that time, I wasn't living in any kind of, you know, pornographic addiction or perversion or anything of that sort. But I knew that something God was trying to show me was playing out in front of me because 
Everyone started to repent. Even I was repenting, saying, Lord, every inward toleration of the spirit of Jezebel, I repent of it. Cleanse me from everything I've tolerated within me. Okay, so this went on for a while, and lots of people were receiving breakthroughs. You could see people in tears and just encountering God. After the conference, I went home. My wife turns, up, turns on the TV, because we've got Apple TV. Turns on Apple TV, and guess what is on the screen right in front of me? The head of Medusa I saw in the dream. But now it's physically on my TV screen. However, it's on my TV screen and the head is cut off. Listen, and the guy who cut off the head is holding the head of Medusa like that with his sword in his hand. How many of you realize when I saw that, I knew God was giving me a sign in the natural to confirm that repentance was the pathway to breaking that influence in this generation. And so I took that. And now if you understand how the thing with Medusa works, I don't believe in Greek mythology, but I believe it was a symbol God was using to communicate the nature of this spirit of Jezebel. The way it works is whoever looks at Medusa with their eyes are turned to stone. So the eye gate... Is absolutely key. And one of the things the Lord was communicating to me through that dream was, the spirit of Jezebel is released the war on this generation's eye gates. The enemy wants to capture your eyes. And some of you are watching things or have been watching things that the enemy has designed to cause you to be turned to stone, to neutralize your authority. You cannot have authority over an enemy you're sleeping with. The moment your eye is engaging that spirit, it has influence in you. Therefore, you lack authority to cast it down. And I want to say to you, it's sad to say, but in our church, it's not just about a woman or some guy who is carrying the spirit of Jezebel. I'm telling you, leaders, even congregations, while you're worshiping and doing all the things we, we, we know to do as Christians, actually, our authority in the spirit realm has been neutralized. So you can deceive me and I can deceive you, but we cannot deceive the spirit realm. Angels are watching, demons are watching. Oh, by the way, demons are real, angels are real, hell is real, heaven is real, get over it. Get over it. We live in a generation that doesn't want to talk about demons, doesn't want to talk about hell, doesn't want to talk about the spirit realm. But I'm going to say to you, it's all through the Bible. Jesus cast out demons. He said, in my name, we will cast out demons. These are the signs that will follow them that believe in my name. They will speak in new tongues. They will cast out demons. We are going to cast out some demons in our generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of the things you're trying to medicate are demons. And it's time you expose it, identify it, and get rid of it. And you don't always need a man of God to come and lay hands on you. Because when I was dealing with depression, and I'm probably going too far ahead, but you need to hear this. See, I'm up here preaching right now. It doesn't mean that I don't know what I'm talking about. Dealing with the Jezebelic spirit of depression that shuts you down. I knew it wasn't a chemical imbalance in my brain. Because... When that thing came on me, one, I didn't want to pray. I didn't want to be around anyone. I wanted to be in my room by myself. Life is just over and dead. It's similar to what happened to Elijah. Elijah became suicidal eventually. Because that spirit released an attack against Elijah. And so when I was on the, when I have been, it's happened many times, under the spirit of this depression, sometimes I, but not all the time, I know that what I need to do is begin to declare the word of God. But everything in me is resisting it because of the hopelessness. And sometimes God has sent people to me to pray and boom, there's been a breaking of it. 
But then after a while, I realized God stopped doing that. You know why? Because he'll ask James, now it's time for you to fight. So right there with the depression, heavy, I'm like, Father, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over the spiritual atmosphere of my room right now. I replace every bit of lukewarmness and oppression with the fire of God. I declare that my emotions come into alignment with the emotions of heaven. I declare that every bit of oppression leaves this place now. Father, I declare that your kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Therefore, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit is my reality right now. Not just my theology. It moves from my head to my heart. Father, in the name of Jesus, I declare the peace of God, the joy of God. I take my peace back. I take my hope back. See, so I learned how to pray by fighting and pushing. Some of you have not learned that, but you are going to learn it. Because when you leave this place, the enemy is going to come. And you better know how to use your sword. Listen, we cannot be an army if you are not a soldier. Did you hear what I just said? How can we be an army if you don't know how to use your weapons? We're a joke because when we face the enemy, he's going to start attacking the weakest links, people that are not fine. But actually, I have a promise I'm holding on to that the weakest among us will be as strong as David. The least among us will be as strong as David. You might be listening to me thinking, who is this crazy preacher shouting at me? Listen, you're called to be a fighter in the spirit. You're called to be a warrior in the spirit. You will not tolerate Jezebel in all the manifestations. And so, I had another dream. Before I, before I go into that dream, I want to just, because of time, I'm going to touch on uh, Revelations too, just briefly. Because Jesus talks about Jezebel, he says... You know, I have these things against you, talking about the church. It says, you, uh, uh, Jezebel seduces my servants to commit sexual immorality. In fact, let me just read exactly how Jesus said it. Revelations 2, 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you. That you have, actually, no, that's the wrong one. <laughs> Revelations 2, 18, that's it. And the, so the angel of the church of Tyre, <laughs> pronouncing that, sorry. These things says the Son of God, whose eyes are like a flame of fire. Okay, let's jump to verse 20. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow, some translation will say tolerate, that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, listen to this, to teach. So if she is going to teach, she has some knowledge. You can't teach if you don't have knowledge. And if she was teaching, it meant... Because it's a spirit we're talking about here. It had gone to a place where it had a leadership position. And I, I know it's talking about the church here, or a particular church. But I want to say to you, it has a leadership position in our nation. Are you hearing me? Especially in the media. So it's teaching demonic doctrines or taking things of God and, and mixing it, diluting it. So the spirit of Jezebel is teaching, let uh, me uh, uh, read again, who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat, eat things sacrificed to idols. So this spirit is teaching and causing the people of God to be seduced into sexual immoralities. This is what Jesus said. Are you hearing me today? If you're with me, say yes. Say yes one more time. Yes. I can see some of you moving around, so I just want to make sure you're definitely... Are you tracking with me? Yes. So I had a dream. I was speaking at a hotel in... Uh, sorry, I was speaking at a hotel. I was speaking at a church in, uh, in London, and I was at a hotel, went to sleep after a powerful service, and as I went to sleep, I had an experience where it was not just a dream. I stepped into the spirit realm of the room I was in because... This played out in that room. So I am in the same room I've just gone to sleep in. And someone walks in. The best way to describe this person that walks in exactly what Jesus says in this scripture. This person took the embodiment of a woman. However, she was talking 
the scriptures with me. So it's like you would have conversations about God after a meeting and you're talking to your friend and, oh yeah, that was amazing. And what the preacher said here was powerful and this spoke to me. It was that kind of conversation. So she was talking to me about the scriptures. And in terms of what she was saying, there wasn't anything theologically wrong. But there was a big problem about the whole situation. You know what? She was naked. So I am in my room thinking, this is a bit odd because there's nothing she's saying that's wrong, but this situation is out of order. So after a while, I said to her, you better leave now. You need to leave. So the spirit wouldn't leave. I said, you need to leave my room. The spirit wouldn't leave. And all of a sudden, I realized I need to do something else. Just like what I did right there when I was praying. I said, I take authority over you. You leave my room now. And so this spirit starts to shake. And she starts to run out. And as she's running, I ran after it. And I said, and I release the fire of God against you. And in the dream, out of my chest comes a fireball and hits this thing. And it disintegrates and I wake up. How many of you realize I woke up a happy man? And so, the spirit is trying to infiltrate our culture. In fact, not trying to, it's already infiltrated our culture. There's one more dream I want to share, and then we're going to look at how Jezebel was destroyed. Just a few weeks ago, I was in Nigeria, speaking at a meeting, or, you know, leading a few uh, sessions, a ministry trip. And uh, I've often learned, again, hotel rooms to pray over rooms before I sleep in them and that's a whole nother thing we're not going to go into right now some of you some of the issues you're having is because you're not been praying in your room make it such a hot place that no demon is able to to stay there you know you can't cohabit with the enemy you're called to evict you hear me so I went to the hotel went to bed and this time around again it wasn't a dream it was like an experience. So I'm sleeping with my hands open like this. And all of a sudden, my spirit is alert. That's all I can say. My body is asleep, but my spirit is awake. And I am in the room. I'm on the bed. And I know it's my spirit. I don't know how I know. I just know. However, in the room comes a woman. And you know the feeling you get when you're by yourself and someone sneaks up behind you? And you're like, oh. It was like that feeling of fear was there. And I knew there was a woman there. And I was wondering what it was. I knew it wasn't a demon, but I could feel the fear from it as well. And even though my body is asleep, my spirit is observing the situation. And this woman is trying to slip a book into my hand. And I am watching all this go on. And I look at the book and the book has these words on it. Lost. And so the spirit is trying to sneak this book into my hand. And all of a sudden, at the moment I realized the words in the book, my body instantly woke up. I looked in the direction of the room where I saw the spirit. And I said, you get out of my room right now, you filthy demon. Listen. And I went to sleep. <laughs> yeah. The next day I was speaking in the meeting and I knew God wanted to deliver people from lust and perversion and things like that. And one of the leaders came up later and said, you know, that same spirit you, that, that attacked you in the hotel, that same spirit has attacked me and several ministers in this city. In fact, he said this, that spirit, he said he's going to fight with this spirit and got beaten in the dream in the back, woke up from the sleep with back pain and had back pain for some years. And the back pain left on the day he got married. <laughs> Listen, I don't know if all these things are kind of weird to you, but I want to say to you, the spirit realm is real. It's not something out there. You are in the spirit realm right now. You're just more conscious of this physical realm. Now, Jezebel is released an onslaught against our generation because the devil knows exactly what God wants to do. He wants to use you to change a generation, a nation. And so the enemy wants to strike first. He wants to bind you. Listen, 
He wants to bind you before you bind him. Some time ago, I was just praying and I was preparing for another meeting some years ago. And as I was preparing, the Lord just drew my attention to this next passage, which is going to be our final passage. Listen, there's a lot we can talk about with this. And I wrote a book about it. So but I'm going to summarize this with this last story and then we're going to pray. And the hope in this really just revolutionized me. And it gave me a fresh perspective about the workings of God in this generation. In fact, before I go into that, just quickly, one of the things that Jesus talked about is the fact that Jezebel seduces people to eat food sacrificed to idols. Are you hearing me? Are you still with me? Is this blessing you? Okay. Can you track with me a few more moments? I know, I know this is going on for a while. We're going to round up and I believe God's going to bring some deliverance to people in this room today. So stay with me. We're coming to land. Just stay with me. Now, where was I? What was that? Food. Yeah, that's it. Food. Thank you. Jezebel seduces people, not just to immorality, but to eat food sacrificed to idols. And you might go, that's a bit odd. I don't eat food sacrificed to idols. However, we know that the prophets of Asherah and Baal, who who kind of served Jezebel, they ate at Jezebel's table. Okay? Are you with me? And I've got my phone here with me. And I was thinking about the fact that it says, we, you know, Jezebel seduces us to eat food sacrificed to idols. I thought, well, what does that look like? And I realized that our, our phones and our TV screens and our kind of iPads are like tables that we eat on. And many of you have been eating food, sacrificed to idols on your iPhones, your TVs, and your iPads. And you may not be physically eating food like it says in Revelations 2, 18, we just read there. However, you're already allowing that spirit to influence you because I'm telling you, it's so real in our culture all through Hollywood right now. It's like an industry in many ways that the enemy has hijacked to really... um, indoctrinate a generation with demonic ideologies so that you're bound and can't bind the devil but there is hope someone say there is hope so last scripture we're going to look at is second kings nine and this is where we're going to finish second kings nine talks about where jezebel was destroyed so I'm going to summarize it because of time. Jehu was the guy that was anointed to go and destroy Jezebel. Everyone say Jehu. So Jehu received this anointing and he's riding. And this is what it says in verse 20. So the watchman report is 2 Kings 9.20. So the watchman report is saying he went up to them and he's not coming back. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he drives furiously. So that's describing how Jehu rode his horse and he was driving that horse furiously. You know why? Because if you're going to deal with the spirit of Jezebel, you have to be furious. Matthew 11, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and only the violence will make significant progress. Now, I don't swim, sorry. I don't know if it's a black thing, but I don't swim. But this is what I know. If you're trying to swim upstream, right? And the force coming downstream is greater than the force you're applying upstream. What happens? You get swept away. If you want to swim upstream and you apply the same force as that which is coming against you, what happens? You stay in the same position. So if you want to swim upstream, you have to apply a force that's greater than that which is coming against you. Welcome to the spirit of John and the spirit of Elijah, the spirit of know, The spirit of violence, spiritual violence that takes it by force. So Jehu had to rise his horse furiously. 
going to church and just listening to a sermon and coming to a conference like this is not going to do it. You're going to have to be possessed by a, like a, a radical and hunger anointing to press into God. Because the default position is your backslide. The default, if all you do is go to church and hear a sermon, the default is you backslide. You're not going to make any progress. You're not going to be a fire for God. You may hear some nice messages that tickle the flesh, but you will be the same five years, ten years from now, and you're still dealing with the same issues. If you're going to grow spiritually, you have to be violent about your progress. So... Verse 30. I'm jumping a lot here. Now, J. <laughs> Thanks you. Thank you, Miss Karen. <laughs> so, Jehu is riding his horse furiously. He keeps riding his horse and is riding to the point to destroy Jezebel. So, now we come to verse 30. Now, when Jehu comes to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it. And look at what it says she did in verse 30 here. And she put paint on her eyes. Do you remember what I said about the eye gate? Anyone remember what I said about the eye gate and spirit of Jezebel? The moment the guy anointed to destroy her is showing up. You know the first thing she did? She decorates the eye gate. Because that is one of her weapons. She, even though in the natural it looks like she's putting her makeup on, she was actually putting her armor on and she was getting herself ready for war. Because she was going to use her eyes to project something to Jehu. So he says, she, put some, she put, painted her eyes, adorned her head, and then she looked through the window. Then as Jehu entered the gate, she said, is it peace, Zimri, murderer of your master. Now, if you remember earlier on, as I was speaking, I said Jezebel is also the spirit behind depression because she released that against Elijah. Now, she called Jehu Zimri. Now, Jehu is riding his horse furiously to destroy her. She looks out of the window. Notice Jehu did not look back at her. Are you hearing me? She was ready to engage his eyes. But his eyes was not going to engage her. So when she saw that her tactic for engaging his eyes failed, she went for the next gate, the ears. So she says, is it peace Zimri? You know Zimri, that name Zimri? She's calling, you know, like we say, Judah, you know, if you call someone a Judas, they're like someone that betrays, you know, because we've taken what Judas did to Jesus and we use it as a phrase now. If someone, you know, is unfaithful in a friendship, we call them a Judas. I, am I making a sense? She was calling Jehu a Zimri. And Zimri uh, is, the, is the king in the whole of the history of Israel that serves for the shortest amount of time. I believe he, he reigned for like a week or so. And do you know how he died? He committed suicide. Are, are, you, are you tracking with me? Is anybody really getting what I'm trying to say here? So she couldn't engage his eyes with perversion. Now she was going to engage his ears with depression. She called him a name that he would only associate with a guy who has killed himself. So you may be here and you're not struggling with pornography and, and all the things that have been said so far, but you haven't realized that there is another dimension of the same spirit that you could be under that's also trying to get you to kill yourself. There's someone here right now, before you came here, you were thinking about killing yourself. And I'm here to say to you, there is hope. That's why I'm releasing this message to you because you're dealing with a spirit. It's a spirit. And we're gonna cast it out tonight. We're going to cast it down tonight. Jehu was anointed to destroy her. This spirit that's destroyed a nation, stolen the destiny of multitudes, perverted hearts, killed the prophets, neutralized the authority of the people of God. Jehu was anointed, was anointed to, bring an, to bring an end to her reign. 
And so he wasn't going to engage her eyes. Now, I have lived long enough and probably seen, see, these days, you don't have to go looking for pornography. It often comes looking for you. That's Jezebel trying to engage your eyes. You go on Instagram, you're not there to look for anything other than maybe just catch up with a few friends. And then there are all these ads. You go on YouTube, you're just there to watch some view, and there are all these ads. That is Jezebel trying to engage your eyes. And you're going to say, none on my watch. These eyes are only going to behold the holiness of the King of Kings. My eyes are set apart to righteousness. I will not behold an evil thing or set an evil thing before my eyes. And when he sees that you're not giving into that, he's also going to try all the means to shut you down. Because he wants to neutralize that spirit of Elijah that you're called to carry. So Jehu ignores her. Verse 32. This is great. Jehu looked up at the window. But Jehu did not look at Jezebel. Look at what he did. He looked up at the window and he says there were a few eunuchs. Two or three eunuchs were there. He turns to the two or three eunuchs and said to them, who is on my side? Someone say, who is on my side? And you know what? These eunuchs, something came over them. These people had been serving the agenda of Jezebel for years. And all of a sudden, they hear a few anointed words that came in form of a question. But it carries so much anointing that it broke the hold of Jezebel over them. And all of a sudden, they realize, what have we been doing? And so he said, who's on my side? And so it says two or three units looked out at him. And then he said, throw her down. Everyone shout, throw her down. down. Say it again. Throw her down. down. We're going to throw the spirit of Jezebel down tonight. It's incredible, isn't it? Jezebel tries to engage Jehu's eye gate and ear gate, she fails. But Jehu, however, engaged the eunuch's eye gate and their ear gates. And then they received an anointing through the same gateways that they had been oppressed. And so now they've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. The oppression is broken. And sometime, I, I mean, I've read this several times over the years, and I was prepping for a gathering, and I felt the Lord ask me the question, James, who destroyed Jezebel? And my mind as well, I guess Jehu destroyed Jezebel. But as I read the story, the Lord opened my eyes to something that I believe is going to bring many of you hope today. Do you know Jehu did not destroy Jezebel? You know who destroyed Jezebel? The eunuchs. Everyone say the eunuchs. So who are the eunuchs? The eunuchs are people who have been oppressed in their sexuality. The eunuchs have no sexual organs because Jezebel cut it off. So they have been oppressed the most by this spirit. In a private place, the binding came from the wounding. Some of you in here have been molested sexually. And that was a doorway to bind you. And God wants you to forgive. He's not saying what they did was okay. But in your forgiveness, you're going to break the hold of a spirit that's trying to oppress you. The eunuchs were oppressed in their sexuality. Sexual confusion, sexual perversion, gender confusion. Does that sound like this generation? Does that sound like today? Sexual confusion, sexual perversion, gender identity crisis. 
These are the people that have been oppressed by Jezebel. But you know the crazy thing? The people that were most oppressed by Jezebel were actually the ones that were anointed to destroy her. Ah, can you hear me right now? Can you hear me right now? Oh! You think it's just a sexual issue. An enemy is trying to put shame on you. He's trying to put depression on you. He's trying to make you think that you're never going to be used by God or have an impact for God. But all along, the enemy thought he was locking you down, but he was actually setting you up. That what the enemy meant for evil, God is turning it around. See, 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 see. The enemy thought the cross was going to be Jesus' end. The enemy thought he killed Jesus. But he realized he actually set him free. Because now the cross made it possible for Jesus to be in many locations at the same time. So what the enemy was going to bring to destroy Jesus became the very tool for our deliverance and our salvation and that which causes us to walk victorious. Listen, the enemy thought by putting Paul in prison, he was going to lock him down and shut him up. But he realized that was God's strategy to stop Paul from being so busy that now he could take some time to download some revelations like Ephesians, like Colossians. And so the enemy put him in prison, but the prison was the tool that God used to bring a whole new revelation of the church, of the supremacy of Jesus to a generation. Are you hearing me today? In the same way. The enemy is thinking he can get you with that suicide and the perverted dreams at night and the oppression and all the sexual confusion. But I'm here to say to you, the enemy is going to regret the day that he brought oppression over you because the spirit of Elijah is arising. The Jehu anointing is here and I'm here like a Jehu talking to people that are like eunuchs and I'm saying we are going to throw this thing down. We throw this thing down, down. We hope you enjoyed this prayer storm podcast. For more content, Find us on Instagram at PrayerStorm, all one word, and on YouTube, PrayerStorm TV.